Okay, today we are going to be talking about intentionality and living our lives in such a way, such an intentional way that we run so as to win, which is why I cho chose this verse from 1 Corinthians. So let's see what sticks out to you during our time of prayer. So we'll pray in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for the spring, which has brought beautiful weather. Please open our hearts and our minds as we read Lexio, the scripture today in Lexio Divina. Help us to come to love you more, to know you more. Lord, be our guide now and forever. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Now this is St. Paul speaking. Although I am free in regard to all, I have made myself a slave to all so as to win over as many as possible. To the Jews I become like a Jew to win over Jews. To those under the law I become like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win over those under the law. To those outside the law I became like one outside the law, though I am not outside God's law, but within the law of Christ, to win over those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, to win over the weak. I have become all things to all, to save at least some. All this I do for the sake of the gospel, so that I too may have a share in it. Do you not know that the runners in the stadium all run in the race, but only one wins the prize? Run so as to win. Every athlete exercises discipline in every way. They do it to win a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. Thus I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight as if I were shadow boxing. No, I drive my body and train it, for fear that, after having preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now we'll have a, a minute or two of silence where you can ponder the meaning of this passage. Although I am free in regard to all, I have made myself a slave to all so as to win over as many as possible. To the Jews, I become like a Jew to win over Jews. To those under the law, I became like one under the law, though I myself am not under the law, to win over those under the law. To those outside the law, I became like one outside the law, though I am not outside God's law, but within the law of Christ to win over those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, to win over the weak. I have become all things to all, to save at least some. All this I do for the sake of the gospel, so that I too may have a share in it. Do you not know that the runners in the stadium all run in the race, but only one wins the prize? Run so as to win. Every athlete exercises discipline in every way. They do it to win a perishable crown, but we an imperishable one. Thus I do not run aimlessly. I do not fight as if I were shadow boxing. No, I drive my body and train it, for fear that, after having preached to others, I myself should be disqualified. I can now share a word or phrase if you would like. Originally when I planned this steadfast and hope session, I was thinking that it was going to, the pandemic was going to be coming to an end around this time. 
or at least that we would be done social distancing. Now that was seven weeks ago when I started thinking about this and we're still in the stay at home order. I don't know whether it's gonna be extended, none of us do, perhaps the governor does. Uh, and I don't know how long social distancing is going to last after the stay at home order. So I thought when I planned this study that we might be talking about reintegrating back into the community today, but it seems as if there's no resolve to the pandemic right now. Uh, we don't have vaccines, we don't really know all the facts. So I thought about it. So we, we talked about overcoming fear through faith. We talked about how overcoming that fear can lead us to persevering in hope. We talked about how one of the primary ways that we remain in faith and hope, of course, is to develop our relationship with Christ when we talked about Galilee and the resurrection. Then we talked about the power of leaning on divine mercy during this time and our relationship with our mother Mary and with the saints, in particular, St. John Paul II. So where do we go from here? And that's when I began to think about the importance of intentionality. Because although we don't have any particular resolve for a date we can look forward to and know this is the day I can get together with my family again. This is the day when I can do this thing I'm longing to do, whether it be go to mass or going to a quilting club or whatever it is that you love. Uh, we can yet have resolve. And what's, in addition to intentionality, the other thing I was thinking about is the virtue of prudence and how it's not a very fun virtue, but it's a very good virtue. Uh, right now we're all being prudent and either staying at home all the time or just doing our essential jobs and then coming home. And, and this is good, right? Uh, let me talk about the definition of prudence for just a moment. Prudence is doing the right thing now to get to where you want to go. So it's not only about uh, doing something in the moment, but it directs us to the future. And that's the virtue that a lot of us are growing in right now, doing the right thing now to get to where you want to go. Prudence is both a human virtue, it's a natural virtue, meaning it's a virtue you can acquire, which is why whether you're a Christian in a state of grace or not, you can choose prudent things. Uh, but it's also an infused virtue, meaning it's a gift from God. So we can ask for the virtue of prudence. And when we most have this virtue, we end up suffering less from choosing the prudent thing because our will is more perfectly aligned with God's will. So it's not so much a struggle with what is the prudent thing to do, but it is uh, the more we align our will with God's will, uh, something that we can do swiftly and with gratitude to God, being able to say thy will be done, even if it, there's suffering in the midst of that. So I wanna tie these two together, intentionality and prudence. When I'm in a dilemma about what to do, I often think, think about the virtue of prudence. For example, um, sometimes we can let our emotions rule our decisions. Like, I just, I can't be in my house any longer, so I'm just gonna go out and meet with other people because I want to. 
But then if we think about prudence, about choosing the right thing now to get to where we want to go, if I go out and interact with a bunch of people, I could be spreading the virus or getting the virus myself. And then I'm not getting to where I want to go, which is ultimately to be able to hang out with my friends and family consistently once this is all over. Prudence is often called the charioteer of the virtues, meaning it governs, governs the other virtues. So let's say you love someone a lot, but that person has a tendency to manipulate you. So for example, prudence would allow you to discern what the right action is in regards to that person. To not love them blindly, but to say, for example, is giving this person money right now going to help me reach the goal I want? Is it truly going to help them? Or is it just going to enable behavior that leads them in sin? Or let's say you want to seek justice for something done wrong to you. Um, you might, in a fit of rage, just go try to seek it right in that moment. But prudence makes you stop and ask, is this the right moment to seek justice? Is this other person in the right frame of mind? Am I in the right frame of mind? Or is it better to wait for another moment to seek justice? Similarly, if we agree or disagree with the stay-at-home order, whether it's extended or not, it's important to let prudence govern how we go about reacting to it. How are we going to let the governor know? Will we send a, a letter, an email, a campaign? Will it be a protest? We have to ask ourselves these questions. Which action will most likely achieve the end I desire without putting my life at risk? Now let's say we're just tired of being home, want to go out as soon as possible. Prudence might stop you from doing that. St. Dominic used to say, it's better to be the hammer than the anvil. In other words, it's better to rule your emotions than to be ruled by them. So for example, maybe most of you know what an anvil is, but I didn't know when I first read this quote. An anvil is that big block of metal that's super hard and that you hit with a hammer in order to shape other metal. So it's better to be the hammer than the anvil. It's better to be the one in charge hitting your emotions than to be hit by them, to in a way have control over them while also recognizing that emotions can be a good thing. Now, what does prudence have to do with intentionality? Here's what it has to do with it. I said the definition of prudence is doing the right thing now to get to where you want to go. Well, intentionality is all about getting to where you want to go. And this is something that even as far back as the ancient Greeks was considered to be really important. The Greeks would talk about intentionality or the end, the goal that you want to achieve as what they called telos. That's the Greek word for end or goal. And the Greeks understood that the best way to move through life is to know your goal or your end, they, called, they use the word end, and to strive for it without faltering. As St. Paul said, to run so as to win. And to know that if something doesn't coincide with your goal, then there is no point in doing it. Now in your life, you may have small goals and big goals, but both the small goals and the big goals in your life should eventually lead you to your ultimate goal. 
at first, right now, as I was pondering this, it seemed like, well, what is the goal right now? I can't, I can't talk about what I was originally going to talk about. But upon looking further, actually, there is a goal that our primary goal never changes. St. Thomas Aquinas and so many doctors and great teachers of our faith have said that the goal of our life, of everyone's life, is union with God. Whether you know it or not, this is what leads to ultimate happiness. Union with God is what leads to ultimate happiness. And no external thing in the world can take that from me. No virus, no other person, um, not even the devil. Not even the devil can take that final goal from you. The only person who can take it from you is yourself. Through your free will, you are the determining factor of whether you are on the road to your final goal, the path to heaven, or not. And this is why intentionality is so important. If we live our lives just going about without thinking about why we do what we do, not only are we going to often going to be overcommitted and less happy, but we might not be intentionally leading ourselves to heaven. I have a priest friend who, from the time of his 20s, has always gone to bed by 10 p.m. He like starts getting ready at 9.30 and is in bed asleep by 10 p.m. And I'm more of a, a night owl. So one day I asked him, how do you do that? How do you just go to bed, uh, start getting ready for bed at 9.30? That seems so early, especially when you're in your 20s. And he said, well, I thought about it. And what's the point of staying up late? <laughs> what's the point, he said. Um, I'm just going to be more tired the next day. And if I stay up late, all I'm going to end up doing is watching TV and maybe eating snacks. And it's not, it's not worth it in my mind. It's not part of the intentional way I want to live my life. So that kind of surprised me, his question. Well, what's the point? Because often we don't think about what the point is of everything we do. It's just, well, this seems good at the moment. It's what I want to do. I'm going to do it. Another example is when I was in college, I was on a missionary team of, of four people. And some of us on the team thought it would be a neat idea to develop a team motto. But one of the guys said, no, <laughs> he wasn't going to. And we said, well, why not? He said, well, it's not necessary. Like, we don't need a team motto. We already have a team name. We're team Mary. Uh, it's not necessary. And as much as we tried to convince him that it would be a fun idea to come up with a team motto, he said, no, nope, we wasn't going to. And this was frustrating at the time because we thought it was going to be a fun way to spend an afternoon. But yet in his point of view, we were already extremely busy as summer missionaries and we couldn't come up with a good enough reason other than it would be fun uh, to get him to go along with it. Perhaps if we come up with something deeper, like it'll bring, build team unity or team spirit, he might've come along with the idea, but um, he just wasn't willing to do something that was unnecessary. And this leads me to one of the best quotes I've ever heard about not being overcommitted, or at least it, it helps. And I want us to begin thinking about this now while we have the time to think about it before we go back to 
um, our, our usual lives at some point. And this is the quote. There are many good things, but you can't do them all. So why do what is good when you can do what is necessary? Again, there are many good things, but you can't do them all. So why do what is good when you can do what is necessary? Right now, most of the unnecessary parts of your life have been taken away. And so it's a perfect time to ask yourself, why do I do what I do? What is the point of what I do? Is it necessary? Is it life-giving? Because if not, if it's not necessary and it's not life-giving, why do you spend time on it? it there's gotta be some sort of good that, that comes out of it, whether it be, and I don't mean you necessarily have to enjoy every moment of why you do what you do. Like you might not enjoy family reunions, but the good of a family reunion is that your family becomes more united or you might not in, enjoy um, talking to a particular person, but you realize that they, they kind of need you in that moment. And the good of doing that is helping that person to get through a trial in their life. But we have to ask ourselves, there's, there's only so much time in the day. Why do I do what I do? Is it good? Is it necessary? Is it life-giving? If not, perhaps when all of this is over, we need to invest our time in something else or scale back if you feel overcommitted. When we have too much going on, then I'm sure you've noticed everything seems less fun. Everything is just like one more thing to do. It's really stressful. And that's not what God wants for us. Again, there are many good things, but you can't do them all. So what is good and what is necessary? I find this to be really important in ministry. Um, not so much right now because my job is more um, particular. I'm coordinator of adult and family ministry. But my previous job, I was director of religious education and youth ministry. And I was the only full-time employee other than the priest for two parishes. So any good idea that people had came my way. And I ended up doing everything from preschool all the way through adults for, for two parishes. And it was very intense. Uh, and so I had to often think of this phrase, there are many good things, but I can't do them all. So what is necessary? Because we can't do every good idea that we have. If I had tried to do every good idea that came my way, it wouldn't have been an effective form of ministry. And it also would not have been healthy for me because I cannot be out doing ministry every night of the week, even when I was single at the time. So again, let's do what's necessary. Let's do what's life-giving because we only have so much time to intentionally run this race. And right now is the time to begin thinking about this because if we don't, when things begin opening up again and people start asking you to commit, you're just going to fall into old habits. And again, it's, it's not necessarily that you're going to be choosing bad things, but you're often choosing between two goods. But which good does God desire you to choose? There's a great book called The Tyranny of the Urgent. And in this book, the author Charles Hummel talks about time management. He says that often we let urgent things take priority and in other words, become the tyrant of our lives. 
So for example, for those of us who work in jobs that use email all the time, you could spend an entire day just responding to emails and never get done what you're actually supposed to be doing in that day. Or perhaps you're someone who people are calling all the time. You could spend so much time on the phone that other priorities are cast aside in favor of another person's urgent needs, and urgent in quotes. And usually urgent is not actually so urgent. I've always found it intriguing uh, that families uh, often never get together until a funeral. Even if a reunion is planned months in advance, people are often too busy to actually make it. But if someone dies, then suddenly they can drop everything and be there in two days during a week when they weren't planned for it. And what I think this reveals is that often what we fill our lives with that's so important that we can't get away from is not actually as urgent, important, or necessary as we often give it credit for. It often takes a tragedy for us to realize the necessary, the urgent things before us, and to know what isn't necessary, what's, what's unnecessary, what isn't urgent, that had appeared to be urgent before. Often things can wait. How often do you set something aside that you intend to get to and it just passes away? It seemed important at the time, but it passes away and life is okay without it. It's the same with us right now. Um, we need to think about the things that, that have passed away and think, what do I want to pick up? What's, what's the necessary? What's life-giving? And now, if, all, if you've gotten all the necessary things in your life, then, okay, you can add good and unnecessary things, but we want to get the necessary in first. And we can't even just assume that just because we're staying home right now, most of us, uh, that we're getting all the necessary done. It's really easy to even at home fill our lives with unnecessary things whether that be that we watch TV all day instead of um, making time for God in prayer, whether that be that we're, um, I don't know, wasting time on, on YouTube when there's housework that is necessary that needs to be done. Even now we can choose the unnecessary instead of the unnecessary, but we want to run so as to win the race. So uh, I want to talk a little bit about what Father Mike Schmitz calls practical atheism. And he, sa he says in one of his talks that many of us Christians functionally live our lives as practical atheists. In other words, we think about God while at Mass, or watching Mass in our case, but then the rest of our day, God is absent from our thoughts and the deliberation of our actions. And we don't want to be practical atheists. Brother Lawrence, a Carmelite monk, wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God, in which he talks about how he, we can continually develop a relationship with God by practicing calling to mind his presence at every moment of the day. I think what sometimes hinders us from the practice of the presence of God, which is difficult at first, is that we just get too serious. Uh, we need to let God into the lighthearted moments. So if you, if you like to bake, ask God to inspire you to bake someone's favorite recipe and uh, go 
deliver it to them in a safe way uh, as a special treat to make it an act of love rather than just like um, cooking that's good but could be an act of love or if you like to sew find out who the patron saint of sewing is and throw up a prayer when you have a mistake throw up a prayer when you finish a quilt uh, and just let let the communion of saints be present to you my last job was in the Grand Rapids area. And when I arrived, I arrived to move in and I had never actually been in the town before, uh, but they had a, a spare rectory where I got to live. And so I, the priest was showing me around the rectory and I didn't know anyone. Um, so it took a while to meet people and to make friends. And what I decided to do since I didn't know anyone and I lived alone, was to have um, date nights with Jesus, or you could call whatever you want, hangout nights, I feel like working out, maybe workout sessions with Jesus. Um, but what I would do on Friday nights, I would have my uh, date night with Jesus, uh, and I would just cook a nice meal, uh, pray for a little bit, and watch a movie. And rather than uh, wallowing in the fact that I didn't have any friends in the area, let it be a time of intentional relationship with Christ in a light moment, which um, it's hard to describe, but it changes the way that, or it did change the way that I ate dinner, that I watched a movie, that it, it gave a certain lightness to the night and a, a certain fullness of heart that is not present when we're not intentionally bringing God's presence to mind. And eventually, um, God did bring along friends, and then I'd still have those date nights with Jesus or hangouts with Jesus just to keep my relationship with Christ alive in the practice of his presence. It may feel awkward at first to call Jesus's presence to mind in moments that we're not used to calling God to mind. It seems we can get this false idea that God should only be called to mind when we're doing the most holy things. So if you're in the kitchen, you've got flour all over everything, or um, I don't know, you're digging on your hands and knees in the garden, it might not seem like the, the right time to call God to mind. But those are exact, exactly the moments God wants to be a part of. Uh, to laugh with you about the disaster in the kitchen or the, the beauty that you're creating in the world. So today let's resolve to live with intentionality and with prudence so that we might run the race to our final end, union with God. The closer we are to God, the more we will experience that super ha supernatural happiness we call joy, that type of happiness we all long for and maybe even more particularly than usual long for right now because we don't have a lot of distractions of the unnecessary, of the overcommitted. So let's be intentional now for however long this social distancing is to choose what is necessary within our homes to make that a priority rather than what is seemingly urgent, which there's not a lot that's urgent right now, right? We're mostly staying home for an undefined period of time. Um, but then when, if we do that now, if we practice the habit of intentionality now of choosing the, the best good, what is necessary, then it's going to be easier to continue to do that once the other things start to pop up in our lives again. 
to then be able to enter the world in a new way. To be, of course, in the world, but not of the world. To be a light for Christ, uh, shining in a way that perhaps we as Christians never have before. Remember that God wants you to be happy. And also remember that God delights in delighting in you. Really take that to heart. God delights in delighting in you. You don't need to be doing the super holy, stereotypically holy things for God to delight in delighting in you. He just wants to be present in your life. Yet often the ones we're the ones who thwart our unhappiness by our interior immobility. We get immobilely stuck in our minds and our hearts so that we don't let God in. But he wants to be there making lightness in our in our movie nights where we could ask him to be there, but oftentimes we don't just because we don't think of it. Yesterday in Father Zaren's homily, he talked about how the disciples on the road to Emmaus were walking in body, but how they were paralyzed in spirit until Jesus came to them. And Father Zaren said, in a certain way, we're kind of the opposite right now. We're not really moving, walking around in body, but we can be walking in spirit, moving forward in spirit, uh, mastering this time, as Father Zaren put it. Yet we have to, to make that choice to, to live in hope, to be steadfast in hope as this study has been about. And if we feel paralyzed in spirit, which the longer you're paralyzed, the easier it is to remain paralyzed, to ask Jesus to come into your heart today, to breathe new life into your soul. I also think um, in moments of paralyzation where you're just down, it's kind of hard to get out of it yourself. So if you feel in the coming weeks ahead that you just are stuck in a rut, I recommend calling someone who you know will uplift your spirit because that is often the antidote. Remember that we're part of the body of Christ, the communion of saints. And so when we um, when our part of the body is a little immobile, the natural thing to do is to call upon another part of the body to help revivify us once again. Uh, if we just try to, like, let's say we're ashamed of feeling immobile or down, maybe even depressed. If we try to just get out of it ourselves, it's not going to be as effective as if we lean on our brothers and sisters in Christ who help us can can help us to see the light and then to, to move forward. The disciples on the road to Emmaus were paralyzed in spirit that we heard about in the gospel yesterday. They didn't know how to move out of that paralyzation either. It took Jesus, the divine Messiah, to come to them to lift their spirits again. You can let someone else within the body of Christ to be Jesus for you to help lift your spirits. And that tangible presence of Christ in the other person is going to make it easier for you if you're paralyzed in spirit than if you try to do it yourself. Now, on the other hand, you may know someone else who isn't in a great spot right now, but yet you yourself are. In that case, take this as God's call for you to reach out to them and see how they're doing to help to be Jesus to them like Jesus was for the disciples on the road to Emmaus. So once again, we're 
we're finishing up this study, Steadfast in Hope, but yet what we've learned from it is far from over. Now it's time to actually continue training to run so as to win the race and to, uh, if you'd like to join, to join in on the Saints study to see how others have done it before us, to let them inspire and be the presence of Jesus to us in our lives. Amen. I'd like to do the litany of supplication with you one more time before we close out this study. And then uh, after the litany, if you have any questions or remaining comments, we should have a few minutes for that. But let's switch over. I'm going to use PowerPoint again. Marianne, will you do the responses? Okay, thank you. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. Holy Spirit, come, enlighten our hearts as we pray this litany of supplication. True God and true man, truly present in this holy sacrament. We adore you, O Lord. Our Savior, God with us, faithful and rich in mercy. We adore you, O Lord. King and Lord of creation and of history. We adore you, O Lord. Conqueror of sin and death. We adore you, O Lord. Friend of humankind, the risen one, the living one, who sits at the right hand of the Father. We adore you, O Lord. Only begotten Son of the Father, descended from heaven for our salvation. We believe in you, O Lord. Heavenly physician who bows down over our misery. We believe in you, O Lord. Lamb who was slain, who offer yourself to rescue us from evil. We believe in you, O Lord. Good shepherd, who give your life for the flock which you love. We believe in you, O Lord. Living bread and medicine for immortality, who give us eternal life. We believe in you, O Lord. From the power of Satan and the seductions of the world. Deliver us, O Lord. From the pride and presumption of being able to do anything without you. Deliver us, O Lord. From the deceptions of fear and anxiety. Deliver us, O Lord. From unbelief and desperation. Deliver us, O Lord. From hardness of heart and the incapacity to love. Deliver us, O Lord. From every evil that afflicts humanity. Save us, O Lord. From hunger, from famine, and from egoism. Save us, O Lord. From illnesses, epidemics, and the fear of our brothers and sisters. Save us, O Lord. From devastating madness, from ruthless interests, and from violence. Save us, O Lord. From being deceived, from false information, and the manipulation of consciences. Save us, O Lord. Protect your church which crosses the desert. Comfort us, O Lord. Protect humanity terrified by fear and anguish. Comfort us, O Lord. Protect the sick and the dying oppressed by loneliness. Comfort us, O Lord. Protect doctors and healthcare providers exhausted by the difficulties they are facing. Comfort us, O Lord. Protect politicians and decision makers who bear the weight of having to make decisions. Comfort us, O Lord. In the hour of trial and from con confusion. Grant us your spirit, O Lord. In temptation and in our fragility. Grant us your spirit, O Lord. 
in the battle against evil and sin. Grant us your spirit, O Lord. In the search for what is truly good and true joy. Grant us your spirit, O Lord. In the decision to remain in you and in your friendship. Grant us your spirit, O Lord. Should sin oppress us. Open us to hope, O Lord. Should hatred close our hearts. Open us to hope, O Lord. Should sorrow visit us. Open us to hope, O Lord. Should indifference cause us anguish. Open us to hope, O Lord. Should death overwhelm us. Open us to hope, O Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. One final prayer for all our intentions, both in the silence of our heart and those perhaps spoken out loud. We pray to the Lord. Amen. Lord, hear, Lord, hear our prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.